Welcome to the Eurovision Yearbook. This is a series where we take a look at the glory days of the Eurovision Song Contest and look back at the fond memories of a Eurovision artist. This week we are flipping the pages of the 1958 Eurovision Song Contest and exploring the life of Italy's Domenico Modugno. This is ESC 101. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to ESC 101, your home of Eurovision history and obscurity. This is the podcast where we take a look at the Eurovision Song Contest throughout the years to uncover the story behind the world's largest international televised music competition. Welcome to Episode 7. My name is Alexander. So, a little disclaimer before we begin... Some of the biographical facts that I found for Domenico Modugno was mostly found on the Italian version of his Wikipedia page and other sources that are written in Italian. So there might be a few odd translations. I'd take some liberties to figuring out exactly what these things said, or some of the facts and figures might be a bit rounded just because of the way that the language was set up. So I do apologize if I make any errors in highlighting the life of Domenico Modugno. I didn't realize how much time it would take to actually spend translating some of these foreign language sources and just to see how useless English Wikipedia really is to researching some of this stuff. It leaves a lot out and the Italian Wikipedia page had so much more information on Domenico Modugno. It was kind of crazy to see, but it's also a very fun challenge to explore and learn from these sources. So with that being said, let's jump right into the story. Domenico Modugno was born on January 9, 1928 in Pogliano Amare in the province of Bari, now part of Apulia, located on the Adriatic coast of Italy in the upper part of the heel of the boot of Italy. If you know what the shape of Italy looks like, that area resides in the upper part of the heel portion little back area of the country of Italy. It's a small seaside village with whitewashed houses overlooking the sea, and he is the youngest of four children. Two older brothers, Vito Antonio and Giovanni, and an older sister, Teresa. His father, Vito Cosimo Modugno, was a municipal police commander, and his mother, Pasqua Loroso, was a housewife. And from a young age, Domenico's nickname was Mimi. His family moved further south into Italy when his father was transferred to a different police force. It was there that he went to school and learned the dialect of the region, the Salentino dialect, which holds similarities to the Sicilian language. He ended up writing some of his first music in that dialect. He attended secondary school in Lecce, and he learned to play the guitar and accordion from his father, all while working at a shoemaker's store at the neighboring village of Squinzano. At the age of 15, he composed his first two songs, which were never recorded. E la luna fra le nubi che sorride al mio dolore, translated as, and the moon in the clouds smiling at my pain. What a very tragic sounding song title. And il treno che fischia, translated as, the train that whistles. 
He also wrote some poetry, which was printed by his friend's father, who was a typographer. Domenico was supposed to attend an accounting school, but in 1947, he felt he became bored by the quiet coastal life, and unbeknownst to his father, he ran away from home and went to Turin. He arrived around 8.35 in the morning on a September morning at Porta Nuova Station. He described it as a foggy morning, with his suitcase containing a few clothes, the party shoes on his feet, and the accordion case that his father had given him. Once he arrived in Turin, he headed for the Orfeo bar, where he does odd jobs in exchange for room and board with tips, but no salary. During the daytime, he works as a waiter, and in the evening, he moonlights as a musician and singer. And once he finishes his music, he arranges the tables for the next morning and then goes to bed at around one in the morning. He also ended up catching the attention of some of the local girls as you do, and he blew his tips on dancing and partying with the girls, and he even ends up falling for one of the girls, a baker named Mariucha Caloro, but the love doesn't last. (laughs) Isn't this kind of the atypical story? Man runs away from his home to try and live a more exciting life, ends up working at a bar for next to nothing, and then spends what little he does earn on women, As you do. (laughs) When the bar ends up closing due to a lack of customers, though, Domenico goes to work as a factory tire fitter and a used tire salesman. But in December 1948, the party life catches up with him, and he ends up in the hospital for acute appendicitis. Ouch. That served as a wake-up call for Domenico, thank goodness for that. And he chose to return home after his recovery. To pay for the train ticket, he was actually forced to sell the accordion that his father had given him for 14,000 lire. Domenico's life has extremely similar characteristics to a Christian story in the Bible that's called The Prodigal Son. It's a story about a man who asks for his share of the inheritance from his father before he dies, gets the inheritance, and then goes off to basically party lavishly and wastes all of his money. He eventually ends up returning home humiliated and broken. Domenico basically does the same thing. He leaves his family, blowing any chance of financial independence by partying with women, and was forced to sell his prized possession to return home. I don't know if Domenico regrets what he did, but like any brazen story of a young man, it is the classic tale of risk-taking youth learning lessons the hard way. But upon his return home, he didn't exactly give up his partying ways. He managed to get another accordion and played at village festivals, serenading the women he attracted with his newly grown mustache and newfound fondness for the theater. That's right. In the sources that I researched for this episode, they mentioned specifically that he grew a mustache. Very hard-hitting facts here at ESC 101. But of course, that didn't last very long, as the winds of opportunity blew once again, and in the spring of 1950, he decided to leave his village once again and went to Rome to pursue his career in the cinema. He didn't go alone this time, instead he went with a friend of his who was a painter. When they got to Rome, they spent the night at the station on third-class benches, and not having luck in securing work, they asked for help from a convent of Camdolese friars of San Gregorio a After a few days, Domenico's friend had enough and decided to go home, but Domenico doesn't give up so easily. 
After several attempts of persuading a local film studio to give him a chance, they hire him to appear in the Mario Mattoli film I Pompieri di Vigiu, translated as The Fireman of Vigiu, where he was paid about 3,000 lire, which I believe is around five US dollars at the time. Sources are conflicted on another fact as well. Domenico at some point in his youth went for military service in Bologna. Some are saying that he did this before he went to Rome, some say afterwards. But once he finishes with his time in the military, he does go back home to spend some time with his family before eventually returning back to Rome, earning money doing odd jobs while also pursuing his artistic career. It kind of sounds like the stereotypical starving artist mentality where they just do things to kind of get by while they pursue their career in the arts. But he does have a pretty big breakthrough. He eventually enrolls at the Centro Sperimentale di Cinematografia, an Italian film school. He was among 12 students out of 2,000 that applied to get into the school, and he ended up earning a scholarship for being the best pupil in the acting department. It was at the film school that he met his future wife, Sicilian actress Francia Gandolfi, the daughter of an Air Force colonel. While it was not love at first sight, they grew close over time, and they eventually fell in love and got married. He works in a few films, and in 1953, he starts breaking into the music scene, participating in the musical broadcasting contest Trampolino and Radio Club. A director from RAI, Italy's national broadcaster and EBU member, noticed Domenico's voice on the programs that he participated in, and they offered him a position as a speaker for a series of radio programs. He worked alongside his future wife, eventually getting married in 1955, and working the radio program while continuing to compose songs inspired by Sicilian culture. There are so many works that I cannot possibly mention them all whether it's in films or in music. And his work in music continued, where he entered the San Remo Festival in 1956 as a composer, and the Neapolitan Song Festival as a composer in 1957, and once again in the San Remo Music Festival, this time as a singer in 1958, where Domenico Modugno's performance in Eurovision begins. Domenico's entry for 1958 was Nel Blue di Blue, translated as Blue Painted Blue, or as some people might know it as At the San Remo Festival, where the song is originated, Domenico is wearing a blue-colored tuxedo. This is to match the blue in the song. But on televisions, it looked like a light gray. While I can't confirm if he wore the same colored tuxedo on the Eurovision stage, it is possible that he did so. It looks like in the footage that there is a shine to the suit that doesn't necessarily look like it's gray, and I'd like to imagine that he wore a blue tuxedo on the stage. It was also the first time in San Remo history where the artist was also the composer. Domenico was thrilled to have won San Remo, and he performed the song on the Eurovision stage with gusto. So much gusto that he actually had to perform it twice because of a little bit of a controversy. So it turns out there was a technical difficulty where several countries didn't even get to see the Italian entry, which was song number one. So the EBU allowed Italy to perform again. You are informed 
that because of technical difficulties on the Eurovision network, the first song, Italy, hasn't been seen and heard in various countries. Therefore, this song will be repeated again. While Domenico didn't end up winning the contest, perhaps the second performance helped him in some countries to gain a point. If, after all, there were some countries that did end up seeing it the first time, they got to hear it a second time and perhaps were convinced by the second performance to give him points. This is a fantastic song that is well known around the world for its refrain, Volare. Domenico sings this song very expressively, as many Italians do, with hands in the air and facial expressions practically making love to the camera. During rehearsals in San Remo, the camera director was unhappy with Domenico's hands consistently moving upwards out of the shot of the camera. The operator was too slow to get in frame and trying to get the camera to be a little bit wider didn't really work. The director just ended up shouting at one of the studio assistants to get Domenico to stop moving his hands. But asking an Italian to stop moving their hands is like asking a Frenchman not to enjoy a glass of wine. Stereotypical, I know, but it's kind of true. The director was ultimately ignored, and Domenico continued to make love to that camera to great applause. This performance is iconic for a reason, and if you haven't seen this performance on the Eurovision stage, then I encourage you to do so. I'll leave a link to the performance on the ESC 101 website. The song is extremely iconic. It reached the number one spot in the US Billboard Hot 100, as well as charting in Belgium, Canada, the Netherlands, Norway, and the United Kingdom. It was so iconic, in fact, they created an award just for him. That's right, Domenico Modugno was actually one of the first recipients of a Grammy. The Grammy Awards were launched in 1959, and he won not just one Grammy, but two. And it also came second in the 50th anniversary special of Eurovision Songs, only being beaten by ABBA. So we know that this song is probably one of the most iconic songs in Eurovision history. And this song today has been covered by so many artists and has become a staple in Italian culture. It's simply impossible to ignore a song with this level of dedication and love and simple fame. And of course, Domenico celebrated his San Remo victory. He bought himself a Ferrari with the money that he gained from the song, but he got into an accident and totaled the car. What a classic move. Of course, this would not be his last time in either San Remo or Eurovision. He participated in San Remo in 1959, 1960, 1962, and 1966. And he also ended up representing Italy in Eurovision again in 1959. He composed the Italian entry for the 1962 contest, and he returned to Eurovision a third time as a singer in 1966. His entry in the Eurovision Song Contest for 1959 was Piove, Ciao Ciao Bambina, translated as It's Raining Bye Bye Baby. It got sixth place, getting a total of nine points. Ciao, ciao, bambina, non ti voltare, non posso dirti, rimani ancora. 
This feels like an attempt to do a part two of his previous entry. It feels similar to Valare, having a similar tempo and even sounds similar, but it feels more poetic sounding rather than expressive. Valare to me had a more of an approachable feel that felt more like an expression of an emotion. This song just kind of feels more like a poem to that emotion and it just feels like a second attempt to capture a win. It's just not as attractive as the first attempt. Not a terrible song on its own, but it's not truly comparable to Valare. His third entry at the Eurovision Song Contest occurred in 1966 with the song Dio Come Ti Amo, translated as My God, I Love You So Much. This entry ended up getting a null point, coming joint last with Monaco's entry that year. Tanta felicità. Baciare le tue labbra che odorano di vento Noi due innamorati come nessun al mondo that is a bit unfortunate, especially given Domenico Modugno's fame. You would think he would get at least a point simply for showing up, and this entry comes with its own little controversy. This entry was actually one of the first which didn't use an orchestra to perform the music. Domenico rearranged the performance after winning San Remo with the song, which broke the EBU rule requiring musical arrangements to be submitted by a certain date, as I discussed in episode 2, where I explored the rules of 1956. The rule regarding submissions stayed in subsequent contests, and it seems as if Domenico was showing his rebellious side, and broke the EBU's rules rehearsing not only with the new arrangement, but with three of his own musicians rather than using the orchestra, which ended up going over the three-minute mark. How dare he be so brazen with the rules? He was so adamant on using his own musicians, he actually threatened to withdraw from the contest if the EBU continued to insist on the use of the orchestra. The producers and the EBU supervisor Clifford Brown, which if you aren't aware of, I'm not a personal fan of the guy and you get to find out why in a future episode, they thought about flying in Gignola Cinquetti to represent Italy. She had won in 1964, and she had also recorded and performed her own version of the song alongside Domenico, which sounds something like this. Dio come ti amo Non è possibile Avere fra le braccia There wasn't enough time to fly her in, and so they ended up giving in to Domenico's demands, and the song went almost 20 seconds over the limit. The song got a null point, and putting aside the rule-breaking and seemingly poor attitude from Domenico, he practically ignores the camera entirely, which, compared to his first two entries, makes him seem disconnected with the whole performance. At one point, he simply closes his eyes and stands there while the musicians perform the bridge. 
rather than the camera changing to show something else. It feels a bit awkward, and I honestly prefer Gignola Cinquetti's version of the song. It sounds better than this arrangement. But in any case, this would be his final appearance on the Eurovision stage, both as an artist and a songwriter. In the 1960s and 70s, he continued to star in a variety of films and music productions. Again, far too many to list here, but suffice to say, his stardom continued to rise throughout Italy and many countries around the world. But in the 1970s and 80s, Domenico wanted to branch out more from the art world. He never really stopped, but he wanted to do a little bit more with his life. And so he began entering the world of politics. In 1974, there was a referendum in Italy over the question of divorce. And there's even a Eurovision entry that is alleged to have been related to that referendum, but that is a story for another time. Domenico ended up joining the pro-divorce campaign launched by the Italian Socialist Party, and he even composed a song for the occasion. In 1986, he joined the Italian Radical Party and was elected as a member of parliament in 1987 for the district of Turin Novara Vercelli. He was passionate about social causes and the underprivileged members of society. He worked to improve conditions in psychiatric hospitals, and he even criticized the regime of Chilean President Augusto Pinochet, which ended up causing his concert in Chile to be cancelled. In 1990, he was a member of the Italian Senate for two years, representing the 4th Rome constituency, and he spent his final years in music dedicated to supporting social causes. Domenico Modugno died on August the 6th, 1994, at the age of 66 from a heart attack on the island of La Pendusa, south of Sicily, in his seaside home. He had four children during his lifetime, and he leaves behind a legacy which outshines the Eurovision Song Contest. He started out as a little bit of a reckless partying musician, turning eventually to a more serious life of music and film before becoming an international music sensation, which is still celebrated to this day. He entered politics and used his position of fame to advocate for various social issues, and Domenico's life is just filled with so many interesting facts. I left out quite a number of facts about his life, otherwise this episode would turn into an hour-long autobiography. I encourage you to check out his music and films, and to remember that Eurovision's first quote-unquote famous song came from Domenico Modugno. Valare, Domenico. Valare. Now that we've learned about the life of one of Eurovision's most famous artists, let's turn our attention to some Eurovision news. It's time for the Eurovision Report. Luxembourg's public broadcaster RTL announced that they have received 459 entries to their national selection process for 2024. Both Luxembourgish and foreign singers were able to submit their own songs or participate in a casting. Ralph Siegel, a legendary Eurovision composer, has also submitted several songs into the Luxembourgish broadcaster. The number of entries highlights the interest that Luxembourg has in the contest and is a good sign of a healthy national selection process. This is reported by Sabian Vanderberg of ESC Extra. 
The Dutch broadcaster Avro Tros has revealed that they have received a record number of song submissions for their internal selection process. The Netherlands have decided to use a small panel of music experts to choose the song internally to represent the country, with over 600 submissions reported. The songs are diverse in both music genre and language, with a majority of the songs in English and almost 100 containing Dutch lyrics. This is reported by Bente van Leyden of ESC Extra. This has been the Eurovision Report. Now it's time for Song of the Week. This is the part of the show where I talk about a Eurovision entry that I either love or obsess over or sometimes I find it difficult to listen to or just simply noteworthy. Let's find out which Eurovision entry is this week's Song of the Week. This week's Song of the Week is We're Giving a Party, translated as We're Giving a Party. The German entry for 1994, sung by Mikado, composer Ralph Siegel, lyricist Bernd Munger, and conducted by Nobert Daum. It placed third with 128 points, 12 points from Romania and Hungary, 10 points from Croatia and Portugal, 8 points from Spain, and points from 15 other countries. This song is a pure 90s bop. And this is another one of those songs that I simply obsess over and listen to on repeat. It is a very fun song to dance, and it's very amusing to watch their attempted synchronized dancing. There are some times where they do get it right, and other times they're just kind of way off. They look like a group of friends or some sisters partying together, dressed up to have a good time at a house party, but definitely not dressed for a club or anything high-end. They don't look nearly wild enough to match some of the suggestive lyrics of the song. Song. Translated by Barbara Aman on the Digaloo Thrush website, the song goes something like this. I have a feeling in my stomach. Tonight I will find the man who really will turn me on. Where's a party? Where's a party baby? I have exactly the same hip-hop feeling as you. Don't stay at home. I know what I'm going to do. Where's a party? Where's a party tonight? I feel like the lyric should be translated to be where's the party rather than where's a party, but perhaps the translation is more literal rather than grammatical. But in any case, the song suggests that they're looking to party and maybe have some fun meeting some fun guys and letting it lead to something else. I don't really know exactly. And while they look like they're dressed to have some fun, the amount of partying that the song suggests doesn't really match the fashion choices made for the stage. They look good, and they look like they are a little bit dressed up, but nothing that screams club or rave party or anything like that. But in any case, it's a song I love listening to. It has these stereotypical 1990s staging with various instruments forcing backing singers to play the instruments, and it just fits so perfectly with the decade. And I love the sound. It's a lot of fun. I think they don't take themselves too seriously on the stage, and I think overall it's a really good song. And that's why this week's song of the week is Virgeben Neparti. Imagine exploring the life of one of Eurovision's most famous artists and still being surprised by what their life was like before Eurovision. While I wasn't expecting Domenico's life to be all wholesome and simplistic, 
I also didn't expect to be hearing a story of an aspiring artist seducing women and working to become a film star, totaling a Ferrari and going on to serve as a politician. Domenico's life was a wild ride, one that I certainly won't soon forget. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you'd like to send me your thoughts, your comments, or any suggestions that you have, please feel free to reach out. I always appreciate hearing from you. You can get in touch via Instagram at ESC101podcast, or you can send us an email, esc101podcast at gmail.com. Be sure to follow the podcast on whatever platform you use so that you don't miss out on any future episodes. Next week's episode, we're returning back to the Eurovision travel guide, so stay tuned to learn which country we'll be covering next. Here's a little bit of a hint for any of you who are multilingual. Achu la boikad ish klausete. You have been listening to ESC 101. See you next time. Thank you.